Welcome to Talk Therapy CBT, a conversation about educating, helping, and connecting individuals to the world of psychology. This podcast is supported and produced by Inner Balance Psychology Center. I would like to also thank our sponsor, Dr. Alba Raffaella, psychologist and author of Breaking the Mirror, a story and guide on how to recognize and deal with narcissists. Her book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Raffa, and join with me today are two co-hosts, Mr. Anthony Dana and Ms. Katerina Martins. How are you both doing today? Doing fine. Uh, we are live from Inner Balance Studios. This is the first time that we have broadcasted here. In Marlton. In Marlton. At, at the Marlton office, that's right, because we could be in Pennington or, we, Philadelphia. or Philadelphia. That's right. So we are here in the Mecca. On this 98 degree day, weirdly enough. Luckily, the AC is working. So sort that's of. not, it's fine, you know, it's, sort of it's not, it's not humid. It's not like a thousand degrees, nice and comfy. So Katerina Martins, Martins is a licensed professional counselor at Interbalance Psychology Center, and she is here to offer us her wisdom on our topic today of REBT. So welcome to our show as our Thank second you. guest Thank you guys for having me. I don't know about wisdom, but I'm going to do my best to explain what I know. So we're going to see what we get out of today. This is an experiment for everyone, including myself, never being on a podcast. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. So we just had about an hour and 40 minutes of fun bantering, which we probably could have recorded. You should have just recorded that. I know. Yeah. And here we are with the formality of the recording. You know, we can't shit on ourselves. This is going to be lesson number oh, one for that. Shitting all over It's like we started. planned this. You use the S word, sir. <laughs> I thought I programmed you not to use that word. So we're going to still stick with our traditional Q&A format. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First, each of us has a quote, right? Do you want to start first? Okay, I can. The first one is, I looked up Epictetus, who is a Stoic philosopher that was an influence on Albert Ellis, who is going to be a topic of today or uh, his school of thought. And the quote is, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. And that is a big part of our EBT. So I, I, that's, I chose that quote and I liked it. So do you want to interpret that or do you want to? Oh, no, I mean, uh, how I look at it is, yeah, I mean, like this is just, you know, like you can't choose what happens to you. You can just choose on how you're going to react to it. It's kind of like you also like you can't redo the past, but you can learn from it or you can just focus on, you, you can't change the past, but you can change right now. I like the quote. And the other one, I actually, I have two. I'm going to cheat. I'm, I'm taking two. <laughs> and the other one is by Ellis and it's, uh, you largely constructed your depression. It wasn't given to you. Therefore, you can reconstruct it. So this one would have been a good one for my mom because she was just so negative all the time and depressed a lot. And I think she would have really benefited from the school of thought. So what are your thoughts, Katerina, on that? Both of them together are really funny because the implication is like, no, the thing that happens to you doesn't make you depressed or anxious or angry or whatever it is, right? So mom being upset that like, oh, there were no more like potatoes on sale today. So I'm upset about that. And my life is a mess. It's not the lack of potatoes. It's not the line at the grocery store. It's not the traffic on your way to the beach that makes you feel that way. You are doing that to yourself. It's the way that you're interpreting the situation, mm -hmm. very similar to, you know, CBT too. And people don't like it when I say someone can't make you feel a certain way because mm -hmm. they erroneously will say, she made me angry. I'm like, mm, not really. You're interpreting her behavior that way to make yourself. Right. And then you get the individuals who are like, well, why would I want to make myself depressed? Right. That's silly. And then well, we're like, we it is silly. We yeah. <laughs> okay. So mine is similar to yours, also by Albert Ellis, my quote. Too many people are unaware that it is not outer events or circumstances that will create happiness. Rather, it is our perception of events and of ourselves that will create or uncreate our positive emotions. Katerina, what are your thoughts on that? Same feeling. You are in charge of the experience that you have in your life, right? Like you don't naturally just exist and like our circumstance or like are punished by the circumstances of your existence. But rather than you have to create your own version of reality to be able to better move through 
garbage that happens in life. So the positive of that is that you can be more empowered and, mm-hmm. and control your feelings and thoughts. And yeah. Like so like the quote I had was, again, also by Alice, Dr. Albert Ellis, no disrespect. The best years of your life are the ones in which you decide your problems are your own. You do not blame them on your mother, on ecology, or the president. You realize that you are in control of your own destiny. You know, mm-hmm. which is kind of empowering, right? It's not that life happens to you. I think it's yeah. something that a lot of millennials really need to buy into. <laughs> you know, as a millennial. <laughs> oh, yeah, That's why I said that. <laughs> From one Gen X to a millennial. Yeah. You know. No, it is. It's great. It's um, It helps people feel more empowered. Like it, the depression or anxiety is not happening to you. No. You know, it isn't because of just an organic neurobiological, neurochemical, you know, imbalance. Right. There's other reasons behind it. Okay, so all of our quotes were from Al. Yeah, we did a lot of Al quotes <laughs> and Epictetus. We threw, we threw an Epictetus. We, uh, we threw in a philosophy a red and then herring. a lot of Al. <laughs> yeah, red herring. We threw him in there with a bunch. I'm going to start off with my questions. And first, just a little bit of Miss Martin Martins. Kathy is fine. Okay. Katarina is Katarina. fine. It's just not Dr. Rafa or Dr. <laughs> Martins because I don't have the doctor. Yes. <laughs> No, I'm not. No, you never no, know. I can stop okay. where I am. Be okay. comfy, you know? Okay. I call uh, her Kat sometimes. Yeah. All right. So Kat, tell us a little bit about your background and your story. What's your story? Your, your migration to I. What is my migration? Immigrant family. You have to go to college. Me going, I don't really know what I want to do. Recommendation of you should be a teacher. I went, I don't like kids. So that can't be it. Don't let that stop. You have been teaching for over 20 years. <laughs> You know, but I won't give you any children. Don't. (laughs) This is why I have teenagers. I get all the teenagers, but no kids. Are you the oldest, youngest? I'm the oldest. So I have a younger sister who's five years younger than me. And then it's just the two of us, mom, dad, that kind of thing. So you had to go to college. I was like, okay, got that. Don't know what I'm going to do yet. But like vaguely, entire family has a lot of like brain issues and a lot of nonsense. So let's do psychology because that seems fair enough. And I was really lucky that I picked a school that had already like a counseling program, like a master's program in it. So I was like, okay, well, if I like it, then I'll continue. So cool. So I went to shout out to Caldwell University. So I went there for my bachelor's and I loved what I was doing there. Just but like, a you know, bachelor's is pretty easy to do. So I was like, oh, okay, let's chill. And I kind of just liked psychology as a whole. So I was like, okay, let's do counseling. So I did their master's program in mental health counseling, finished that in about three years, did a lot of clinical experience and all that kind of stuff. And I think the entire time was just this feeling of like, this feels right. I'm going to keep doing that. So I worked for a while in the community, going to people's houses, doing kind of mental health work there. Then I got my licensed associate counselor, my LAC, which like that is just like a whole state process of -hmm. getting licensed as a therapist, which is just like, woo, Mm -hmm. a bit. Did that for a year, did private practice somewhere else for a year, went, this kind of blows, got to go to a different place. And then I was lucky enough to kind of stumble upon inner balance. And I went, I will move to this area because I was from North Jersey. I will move here. Because if like, if it makes me happy, I'm going to move here. And it's been here for three years in June, three years in June. So like this coming month is going to be three years. And I'm pretty, you know, we're enjoying this right now. So I just got my LPC and now we're, we're comfy cozy. We're comfy cozy. Yes. Yes. And we welcomed her and especially your personality. And also just the REBT was golden because it is akin to CBT. They are cousins. I'm a CBT nerd. They are, they are familial correct yeah. they're yeah. on the same tree all right my next question they're on the same this, yeah they're in the family tree who is dr albert ellis uh, again a little bit about maybe his background and then how and what is rebt so dr albert ellis born in like 1913 in pittsburgh pa so like still relatively local kind of therapist which is kind of cool had like a really chaotic childhood according to like what's said about him you know like parents divorced really young he had a lot of health conditions he had a lot of social anxiety and just kind of moved his way to like new york city so he was basically raised in new york for the and like stayed there for the rest of his life basically during that time he got like a bachelor's in business administration i don't know why but like he did that 
And then he wanted to be a novelist and then went, not interested in that either. But I think he was like really interested in like uh, sex counseling and like marriage and family and relationships. So he was like, okay, let me look into that for a bit. And then around that time, he was like, I'm just going to go to get a master's in clinical psychology. So he went to Columbia in like the 1930s, finished that, did his own private practice as like a sex therapist and like marriage and family therapist. He was doing that for a bit, then got his doctorate in 1947. So he was chilling. And like at that point, like psychoanalysis was the feeling uh, that was like pretty much what everyone was practicing. So he was doing that under Karen Horney, which like I was like, oh, yes, yes right. Yes. I was like, ah, I know her. I yeah, I know of her. no, I know. But I was like, I didn't I don't know these things. So it's fun to kind of look them up because the right. history takes a minute. Nice timeline. Right. Mm -hmm. And then. Yeah. And by I, the way, you want to just it, psychoanalysis was the thing. It was the only thing. It was Who is she? Karen Horney. Yeah. She's See, like. You got to remember something. <laughs> you, got, you guys, oh, you know, like, you two, you two say that. And people like me are like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. So she was. <laughs> did, yeah. Yeah. OK. Like Giraffa. Who's Karen Horney? Oh, God, I can't answer that. You, neither can I. <laughs> OK, so like she was Google. one of the, I gotta Google. To the best not to, of my knowledge, right? Because I'm not She's a, a linguistic person. I'm not a, a, a Horney like follower. OK. But to my knowledge, she was a psychoanalyst who studied under Freud, but didn't like his stuff and okay. then like switched it up with her own stuff. OK. You know, that's good. So then like she did her own thing. And then he like Dr. Alice started working under her kind of group practice. All right. And then did that for like five years when mm, this ain't working for me. And by then started to kind of create at the time what he called like rational therapy. Then he like rebranded into like rational emotive therapy. And then he rebranded into currently rational emotive behavior therapy. And this was during the second wave in psychology. We're in, currently in the third wave. That's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. But that was the origin of behavior therapy, where things were shifting from more passive, like mm -hmm. a therapist or a psychologist being passive and patients coming in four to five times a week for intense psychoanalysis yeah. and free association and dream interpretation. Yep. And, you know, therapists just kind of doodling. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> And just, mm, that's interesting. And right. just being more passive than more collaborative, yeah. you know, types of therapy. Taking like a more active right. role as a therapist rather than just kind of being like this stereotypical, everyone like looks at like TV shows of a therapist and there's like a therapist sitting in an armchair writing notes and never speaking. And like the person staring at the ceiling talking to themselves. Like around this time is when they went, mm, this isn't working as much anymore. We got to change it up. So hence REBT was born nineteen. What was it? Nineteen like nineteen. Like vaguely nineteen fifty five was when he started like presenting on it. According to like history, like the history of Albert Ellis, you would say that he's like been practicing his own stuff the entirety of his life, just because he kind of created it in his head, just by what he used to cope. But then he branded it. And like made it into a formal theory. Oh, that happens a lot. These individuals that come up with these theories, it's their own experience that crafts right. their theory and their their model, which is really cool. How is it similar yet different to CBT? This to me, this is really funny because sometimes even I don't know the answers to those questions. So I had to like look mm -hmm. myself, right? Because they're so, so, so similar. And the reason why they're so similar is because, again, according to the history. Albert Ellis came like just barely first, like by like five years, if not that. Right. And he worked with Aaron Beck to kind of figure out like what worked. Mm -hmm. And they kind of had a very similar thesis and like theory on like human behavior and like psychopathology and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So what ended up happening and like the best way that I could answer this that I saw so far was the difference between CBT focusing on like what is the inference that the person's making? Like what are the assumptions they're making about things? And REBT focusing on like, okay, even if that assumption's through, what, like, why does that matter? And like, what's the evaluation we're making about that? So, yeah, which is also similar to core belief work with CBT. It's like the downward arrow mm -hmm. is a technique. So if you were to tell me, I don't know, you got frustrated on the way down here, um, sitting in traffic, like you said, and and then I would say, well, why is that so bad? And you, well, it's just, it's annoying. I'm sitting in traffic. And I would say, well, why is that so bad? And right. you just keep going with the, why is that so bad? And what does that mean right. about you? And then maybe, I don't think this is true of you, Katerina, but, oh, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe that's the belief that's being triggered by this situation, which is uh, essentially a, a core belief. Right. 
This, and like, this whole, like, what does it mean about you? Yeah. That this is, this thing is happening. Yeah. And like, at the time, I think there was like, they were still making this, right? So mm-hmm. like, they were growing up, CBT and REBT were growing up together at the same time. Like siblings. So, yeah. So like, they're so, so, so similar, but no one wants to admit it. <laughs> like, no one wants to look at the fact that they're really similar. But so I think it's just like the phrasing, right? Like, what is the focus here? And what is the focus there? And how they kind of word it. What I like to always do with these podcasts is come up with an analogy to help me just, you know, understand it better. So how, what, you know, what I compared to a little bit is if you wanted to worship Jesus Christ, you had to be a Catholic. And that was the only brand of religion there was. Then after the reformation, you can still work, but you, there's different. So like, so this sound reminds me of that, where Martin Luther's Lutheranism, John Calvin's Calvinism, you're still worshiping or you're still doing the same thing, but just differently. Or just different forms of it. Kind of. Okay. Yeah. Like they're, they're really similar. I think it's just like a matter of like, what do you call it? Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? Right. Thanks. That, that helps me. Out <laughs> I don't know if it helps out any listeners or anybody else, but it helps me out. <laughs> you know, I think the only other thing that it sticks out was like the idea of like healthy versus unhealthy emotions. I think that was something that he was pioneering at the time was like that, not that there are good and bad emotions, but that like every emotion exists on a continuum. Mm-hmm. of healthy and unhealthy. So there is no such thing as like, oh, sadness is bad, but rather there's like constructive sadness and healthy sadness and unhealthy sadness. What's the model of REBT? REBT has like, I feel like it's the OG of like the cognitive model, right? So they they made this really significant premise of focusing on like the thing that happens, your belief about the thing that happens and your thoughts about the thing that happens and then the resulting consequence, right? So like everyone talks about like, oh, we're New Jersey, right? No person on this planet enjoys traffic, we would assume. We would be like, oh my God, traffic is frustrating. Like I can't, it's so enraging. And we can see like, you know, the road ragers who are like riding on the shoulder to get home. Like they're just not tolerating it, all that kind of stuff. The average person would be like, oh, traffic makes me mad. But if that were true, then every single one of us would drive on the shoulder to try to get home on like a Sunday afternoon. Like that would never work. So there has to be the gamut of like, okay, to explain all the reactions that happen, there has to be a change in perspective or belief that's happening that's causing us to get so enraged, right? So the person who is like chilling in the corner, minding their own business and traffic, listening to a podcast like now, you know, <laughs> is thinking to themselves, like, there's nothing I can do. I can't go anywhere. Like, I'm just going to have to wait it out. Right. We're in New Jersey. Like, what do you expect? What do you expect Sunday at three? <laughs> you know what you signed up for. <laughs> right. What do you expect? But the person who's like probably enraged and like gonna, you know, crash a car is sitting here telling themselves like, I can't tolerate this. Like, I, I do not accept this. This is not acceptable. I should be home by now. I, I shouldn't have to deal with this. Like, this is ridiculous. And they're spiraling. Internally, yeah, like they're spiraling internally to themselves of like, my life is supposed to be convenient and easy and like, I should never have to struggle. And it's like, but you live in New Jersey. You know this, like you signed up for this to live here, you know? So then once you identify that belief system and there's like different kinds, similar to like cognitive distortions, there's like only four. Because we, Albert Ellis was like simple and like, we're not going to get that complicated. Yeah, we were like, no, no, four. Once you identify what those belief systems are at the bottom, then you do the deconstruction, you do the disputing, where you basically argue the logic of it of like, all right, well, is that absolutely true? Does that make any sense? What is that getting you? And then you create a new effective philosophy, very similarly to CBT. Right. And then that classic question of how is that working for you? Sitting in traffic Mm -hmm. at three o'clock on Sunday and you being pissed, is it getting you closer to the house or is it better to change your thinking about it and reframe it to this is an opportunity for me to listen to music, maybe, maybe talk on the phone, hands-free, of course, listening to a podcast. So like you said, it has to be our perception of a situation. Otherwise we'd all behaving the same like robots. Yeah. That's kind of his whole argument is like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's not, it can't be the thing that happens. Right. Like it can't because then every kid who ever had a toy stolen would cry. Every person who ever got a breakup would be in distress. Every person who'd be in traffic would be angry. Every person has to wait in line like at like a shopping mall would be like livid. And that clearly that doesn't happen. So like it can't be that the thing that happens is that it's your. Yeah, it's your perception, your beliefs, your shoulds 
your expectations, your rules that make you angry. I tell you, I didn't know about Dr. Beck until we started this podcast. And I didn't know about Dr. Ellis either. And I really think that these two gentlemen, probably a lot of others, uh, you know, should be, I guess, talked about more often. And, you know, again, I haven't really looked into a psychology book, uh, high school or text or otherwise. But I mean, it's, you know, it's always Freud, Pavlov, uh, you know, it's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, how about these guys? One, they're more current. And two, it's more relative to, you know, things that go on today. Did he have any famous clients that we know of after the fact? Or, I mean, again, maybe, maybe not, because he's in New maybe. York so often. Yeah, I mean, that'd be cool. I don't know, because it's confidential. Andy Warhol. Yeah. Or, you know? Andy Warhol. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel, I feel like that could happen, especially right. since, like, he kind of did this thing where he just kind of did therapy everywhere. So like with anyone all the time. So like, I would imagine that that could have happened where he's brought, and like New York City, like that seems realistic. That seems like a realistic assumption. So I have a question for you. What is your favorite Albert Ellis story? Like the way he did therapy, by the way, was very intense and very opposite of being very like, empathetic and passive and it's oh tell me about your feelings yeah. like he was a very direct man and he had some wild behavioral experiments and exposure response preventions right so what, what would you say is your favorite i found him so interesting because it's such an antithesis to like what you expect like the typical therapist to be where he just kind of came in was really blunt yeah not like, like such a straight shooter <laughs> you know so i love that that was my favorite thing one of the ones so I went to, I had a training recently with Dr. Debbie Jaffe Ellis, who was his wife before he passed. She was telling a story about something that happened in one of their trainings about how a person, I think who was like in finals or something like that, was really upset and really angry with himself and really disappointed because he had failed his final. And Dr. Ellis kind of was just like, okay, well, like, did you study? Like, how did that go? And it's like, no, I didn't do anything like that. And he's like, well, what the F did you expect to happen? And like, that was kind of just his entire MO was really just questioning the logic behind someone of like, well, why are you mad about a consequence of your own behavior? And then bullying yourself of like, oh, I'm stupid or my life never works out yeah. because you did it to yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's like the dog kind of like, well, like well, well, why are you expecting that to happen? Yeah. Well, I, of course I, you failed. Yeah. You know, on a much, you know, lower scale, but I would not go that deep in detail. But if a student like, can't believe I failed and I, I studied every night and I'm like, okay, so either you're, you're, you're lying to me or you were studying the wrong chapter if you studied every night and, or you, or I don't know what your study process is, but like there's something wrong because you know, you shouldn't, yeah, like you said, you shouldn't be that disappointed. You shouldn't be that angry because you didn't prepare at all. Right. So well, it doesn't make sense to be right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, right. right. And what did you expect? Right. Yeah. Like, so his argument would be like, okay, to be like self-loathing of like, oh, I'm a failure. And like, I'm going to be kicked out of college and my life is going to be a mess because I didn't pass this test. He's like, well, that's ridiculous. But like to be, <laughs> to be disappointed, right? Like to be a little bit bummed out about it, that's more constructive because you're more likely to study for the next one because you're like, well, you bombed this. So clearly doing that was not the most helpful. And thinking like, oh, it's not going to work out doesn't make you yeah. work more towards something that you care about. Or that you're not a bad person and are a failure. Mm -hmm. You failed to study doesn't mean you're a failure. It right. just means you failed to study effectively and then try again instead of making it this excuse that, well, I just, I'm a failure. I can't finish college. And then it becomes this perpetuating belief to keep you from trying. Yeah. Successful, right? Like most of his argument is basically like, oh, human beings, like the, the whole philosophy of REBT to him is like, okay, one, we have wonderful capacity to change. Like human beings have the capacity to rationalize, to challenge, to create new belief systems, to, you know, try to change. But we also have like a default capacity to be completely irrational, to make ourselves upset, to make ourselves crazy. And like the goal ideally of REBT is kind of like, yeah, your default is probably going to make yourself crazy and like torture yourself a little bit. But with that effort and with constant kind of paying attention to how you perceive situations, that doesn't have to be like your experience. Like that doesn't have to be your life. That whole idea of you can have a different experience. So sometimes what's challenging, I think, with our clients and patients is that the resistance that we run into. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah the <laughs> resistance. The resistance to changing these beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think that, you know, they say that the hardest step is actually making an appointment and showing up, but is yeah. that, is that really, is, uh, is there more to it than that? Because then therapy? like what you, 
Yeah, because then what you guys have to experience, like, oh, you got here. Um, that's a good first step. Of. But yeah. now let's sort of. I think yes, that's brave in order to do that. But the work doesn't come from session one. Session right. one is yeah, you're bearing your soul and you're talking about like your history. We ask a lot of you know intake questions. Inventory, yeah. The right. work is sticking with it. Is when we start to talk about some of these beliefs and mm -hmm. challenging your feelings and giving you the baton to change some of these, and you still show up anyway. That's I think the hardest work. Would, right. you, would you agree? Yeah, like I I always love when people come in for their first session and like they're in tears their first day. Like that's one of my favorite things because Tim no, it, no, like, no, and I, I, I know what she's saying. I tell clients this too. So <laughs> not in a vindictive of, way. I hope any not. clients listening <laughs> will know that I've said this too. They'll be like, oh yeah, fair no. enough. But like being able to do that is powerful because at least bare minimum, like you're starting with being able to acknowledge that you're in pain. Right. And you're being vulnerable and you're sharing with someone else, which is wonderful. But for you to change, right? If psychoanalysis was 100% effective, then just talking about something would make change and you'd feel better. Right. Venting, it's cathartic. Right. right. And like catharsis a plot, like it counts for some of it. But if you have this pattern of thinking and behaving and stuff like that, that takes work to undo, you know? So like therapy is the process of the work. And like doing that constant work to retrain your brain and rewire your brain and rewire your thoughts into like seeing situations in a more flexible way. And that's kind of like REBT in a nutshell is like, how can we be more flexible, more realistic, more grounded, more logical and more pragmatic, like more purposeful and like directive. Right. And that's what I love about CBT as well is people who believe, you know, I am worthless, a more positive belief. It's hard to get someone who's been believing for 40 years I'm worthless and they're clearly depressed mm -hmm. because of it to believe I have worth. Not to say that in a negative way, but we want to get people to realistic beliefs about themselves. Sometimes my belief or my new core belief with patients is I'm okay. Getting yeah. people to believe I'm okay is, is a big step. And that takes yeah. years to get to that place. Yeah. And by the way, all of this, and I've said this before, is learned behavior. We're mm -hmm. not born believing these things. No. We're not born with depression. We're not born with fear. We're not born believing negative things about ourselves, right. others, and the right. world. And like, that's not discounting like, okay, yeah, like you have neurochemical imbalances in your brain and like that perpetuates it. Or you have like this really significant history of abuse and trauma and like that contributes. But like what happens is we're reinforcing those belief systems through our patterns of thought, you know, by like oh, this experience happened and thus it validates this thing that I learned because I was treated poorly or because I've kind of acquired this perspective on my life or who I am, you know? And I like the fact that it's changing the lens, you know, like the this like rose-colored glasses or whatever, like you're changing the lens in which people see themselves. And that's what is really cool about therapy yeah. is changing it and yeah. into a different perspective. Yeah. yeah. One of the most fun things is kind of when that starts to happen. Or the shift. The aha moment yeah. of like, we do like an intervention and it's like, okay, you're, you're not so bad. You're, you're, you're not as bad as yeah. Hitler. Okay, fine. And I'm not as bad, you know, and just seeing those light bulb moments are really rewarding. Do you guys often ask uh, your patients or do you, again, I guess maybe if you feel this, because you might have some patients that come in there, I'm sure, maybe from time to time. And they go, okay, so you're going to fix me. And how long should this take? Oh, like maybe, well, like, like maybe, very I'm, good I'm thinking maybe a oh month. God, we're we're going to get me a better me in a month, right? Because yeah. the summer's coming. Yeah. Can I just take some Prozac and I'm good? Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Oh my God. One of my favorite things on this planet is like, I have so many people who will come to me at some point and be like, okay, so what do I do? What do I, what do, I what do? do? What do I do? And I'm what like, should I do? Oh. right. And I'm like, well. I'm not you, so that's not going to work. You know, like what I would do is this, this, and this, but I'm not that's, you. I'm a different a person. Thing. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. a me thing. I'm moderately chaotic. You right. know, like that's probably not going to work I'm an expert on me. Yeah, right? Like, and I think I say that in every intake too, like is yeah. like, hey, my job is to help you. Yeah. I'm not a wizard. I do not have a magic wand. I do not I have a magic one pill. out of my cabinet sometimes. <laughs> Let me just get my wand out of the cabinet. Oh my God. I need a wand. You guys need props. You I need do. like a little. Yeah, I do. Yes, yeah. A little, a I little box of props. I need a wand now. Let me just grab it. And by the way, and I'll also say, if I've perfected that, that I could fix you by, yep. by I hate that word, fixing it. Fix. If I could fix you and I had that magic power, I would not be doing this every day. I would be a gazillionaire. Yep, I, that's why I, I said I would charge out the wazoo oh for that. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a you one and, and done, be, but it'd be an insane amount of money. We'd be on Tahiti, <laughs> Tahiti like retired yeah. now at our age. But Absolutely. Yeah, if, if we could do that. So one of the things with REBT and CBT is collaborative in nature. We will, I will help you to help yourself. Mm -hmm. I will help you to make these changes if you want to. I will sleep at night if you don't change this belief. It's fine. I care about you. 
but I am going to still rest my head on my pillow at night knowing that, okay, you're choosing to be this way. Like yeah. you're choosing not to make these changes and okay. RABT is very like human beings have inherently worth, we're all important. We all have value, but we kind of torture ourselves and it is our responsibility as individuals to take care of ourselves, right? So as a therapist in the session, it is my job to help you because it's my job to care about someone else. And once the doors close and I go home, it is my job to care about myself. Right. And that's it. Well, if you don't yeah. do that, then yeah. you're not yeah. going to be successful at yeah. your job or anything, any endeavor that you right. put yourself in. Like it's, and we can't care more than patients can. And we, we talk about this in our super yeah. all the time. Like I can care for that hour and I definitely care about my patients. I'm not saying. But yeah, you can't work harder you. than they're working. You can't work harder. That's exactly what we yeah. say. Almost every peer supervision is. It's like, really funny because REBT is very like, I the way that they phrase it is funny. Like what are the values of REBT? And they were like responsible hedonism. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and just basically this balance between doing for others and like caring about others and like, you know, having some level of boundaries or safety or, you know, following social etiquette and doing for our own personal enjoyment. Well, I think that's the hardest part because people feel that when you present it to them, their knee-jerk reaction is, oh, that's just me being selfish. Selfish. Yeah. I'm just being selfish, then that's not right. Right, but then that's the belief system we're challenging. Like, I shouldn't be selfish, mm-hmm. right? Why shouldn't you be selfish? Why is what selfishness? Yeah, yeah, why selfishness? Well, selfish, I think, got a bum. It's a dirty word, and it really shouldn't be. No. No, right? Because, right? no. like, I, I think, do a whole thing on the whiteboard. With yeah, self- the, selfishness. Yeah. the example I always use is, like, okay, when you go on a plane, right, and they talk about, like, oh, the plane is crashing, and the little maskies come down, right? And they always say the same thing. They go, okay, if your parents to a child who gets the mask first the parent the parent and like oh is that selfish that the parents putting it on themselves like well yeah if you want to label it that way but it's also self-interested like what good are you as a parent if you die and your kid lives then they still have no parents so like neither option is great no really and it's not people mistake self-care for selfishness or vice versa you know we we always do a lot of work around that belief again it's a word Mm -hmm. it's our interpretation of this word and the meaning behind it Right. And they, mm-hmm. I guess it's hard to get them to buy into that in order to take care of other people, you got to take care of yourself. Right. And, and I see that more with women. You know, we have more women coming into the practice, yeah. I guess, women with their um, beliefs about nurturing and selfishness. And I should not mm-hmm. be selfish. Right. No, no, no. I can't have a day of self-care. That's me being selfish. Yeah. But yeah. So we like to share the responsibility with our patients. And I usually tell patients, look, if you've gone to a therapist that says you should and shouldn't, Believe, <laughs> believe, <Yes. laughs> because no therapist, you know, needs to be saying that this is what you should do. Now, granted, they come in and tell me their horror stories. Fine. But that's really life lesson is don't go to therapy where the therapist is telling you what you should and shouldn't do because it's not their life. Right. Yeah. One quote that you touched on it a little bit earlier was what works for you might not work for somebody else, but you just got to figure out what your solution is. Well, yeah. Right. Albert Ellis is very like focused on kind of like ambivalence and like the fact that there's no like one answer to everything, right? Like there's no absolutes. I think he said something to the effect of like, there are almost no absolute musts in this world, like rules and things that are absolutely, absolutely one way. Even math. You can solve math different ways. Right. So because of that, right? No, there is no one technique or one theory or one, you know, solution to a problem or one way of going about things or one way of being that is the right answer, because that would imply that there's like a right and a wrong that's objectively true. And there are exceptions to almost everything, you know, so to be able to kind of accept that ambivalence and that gray area of like, no, nothing, almost nothing in this world Mm -hmm is like, this is the right and this is the wrong. Right. I think a lot of people do that and it's unhealthy because you're like, okay, what make, hey, Bob, what makes you happy? I see you, you walking around happy. So what do you do? Well, I like the golf and golf. Okay. Well then I'm going to golf too. And it's like, okay, this sucks. You know, Yeah. Uh, this isn't making me happy, you know? So, but Bob figured out what, you know, what makes makes Bob happy. Right. And that's a whole nother discussion, by the way, with act is like happiness. There is a book called The Happiness Trap, all about definition of happiness isn't a constant. What is that called? Act? Oh, act. Acceptance and commitment therapy. Oh, okay. So you're teasing the next show with the next guest, maybe, or maybe maybe if she's listening, she can. Okay. So I can nerd out about CBT, REBT, since it's a a cousin and act. Like those are my big, they're my my babies. That's such a nerd. That's a triumvirate. It is, yeah. That's going to be next episode, guys. Next episode. <laughs> next episode, Tizo. Um, 
did he he said de what did he call uh de destructive beliefs that was yeah. the difference so he of, um, it was like the default i think he called it irrational belief so it's rational and irrational right, right. which like again people have like knee jerk reaction to being like called irrational and it's like well yeah. explain to me how that makes sense to believe that you a breathing human being is worthless <laughs> or explain to me how it makes sense that you're mad at three in the afternoon in traffic on the turnpike in New Jersey. Explain to me <laughs> how you're mad about that when this happens every day. Right. Doesn't the make any sense. Right. Like the fact, yeah, the fact that like we are kind of irrational because we get the, the argument is like we get so attached to what we want that we say that we have to have it. And yeah. Ellis goes, you're not God, so you're not going to have it. And you telling yourself you have to have it is just making you more miserable. So why don't we move into that neutral of like, yeah, we don't always know. Like you're not always going to get what you want. Like you would like certain things. And maybe you do some messed up stuff, but not that you are a horrible person. Not that life has to go the way that you want it to go. And everyone has to do what you say. It's like a lot of reality testing and also just distress tolerance of yeah. disappointment, right? Like you, life's disappointing and suffering. Or to, to water down even more. <laughs> sure. <laughs> when life gives you lemons, <laughs> you make, lemon. make your lemonade. Yeah, pretty much. Absolutely. People have issue with the irrational word as well as in CBT, dysfunctional. Yeah. There's a DTR, a dysfunctional thought record, and some individuals, some adolescents, some adults well, I'm not dysfunctional. Well, I'm not saying you're dysfunctional. Your thoughts are, my thoughts aren't dysfunctional. Okay. <laughs> so we have to have that whole discussion. Yeah. I'm like, all right, fine. We'll call it thinking. Well, they're so worried about a label, right? They're worried about yeah. a yeah, label. It's, it, again, it's the shoulds of like, okay, well, if I have dysfunctional thinking, then there's something wrong with me. Exactly. I'm broken. You know, like I my need, thinking should I be dysfunctional. Yeah. yeah. I am dysfunctional. Right. There's, there's belief systems in that too, of like, if you're having these knee-jerk reactions to a word, again, the word itself is not the problem. It's your interpretation. It's your interpretation of the word that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? and then or it's causing get... you distress. Right. And then we have to get into the whole like, okay, well, is this working for you? Is this functional? Yeah. Is it really helping you to be that mad sitting in traffic? Not really. It's causing your blood pressure to go up. It's causing your cortisol levels to rise. So when you have people who want help, but then will argue or like kicking and screaming or like, no, I'm holding on to this belief. And, oh, like, you know, yeah. and, and, yeah. and you're trying to explain to them why right. it's not helping them. And I'll often say, like, I don't care if we have this belief. <laughs> like, you want to believe that all the fine. It's just a matter of like, is it working or not? Like, right. again, like I'm making choices for my life and you're making choices for your life. And yeah. if you want to have that belief, fine. Tell me why it's helping you. And we'll just agree to disagree. Right. <laughs> it's a fun little debate. It is. Of and like, oh. It takes a certain person to yeah. be an REBT, CBT therapist. Yeah, a little bit Not of an everyone. ass. You know, a little just bit of an ass. <laughs> a yeah. little, like a, a little, I think the word I used to use when, like I first started learning about it was like combative, which like not the right word, no, no, no. right? But like direct and challenging and like pushing buttons on purpose a little bit. Maybe um, sassy or persnickety. I'll take, I'll take sassy. Persnickety. I'll, I'll take sassy. Okay. Right? Like a lot of times I'll have clients come in and like if I work with them for a while, even like if it's a little bit early and I can kind of like get the feeling of like, this will be fine. I'll poke it real hard and be like, mm -hmm. okay, so this is the thing that we're thinking about. Like, we believe that we're, you know, a worthless human being. We have no, you know, value on this planet. And that's what we're going to die on. That's the hill we're going to die on there. And like, <laughs> you're, you're comparing yourself to the worst people on the planet. You're comparing yourself to murderers. Like, you're good with that? Are you okay with that crowd? And they'll just look at me with like Disdain. contempt <laughs> of like, mm, how dare you? No. Stop making sense. Yeah, I know. dare you. Client, right. And I like we we all have different personalities and yeah. different theoretical orientations for that. And that's just it works for us. But it, it does take a certain type of person. And you have to have some thick skin, I think, to not get your feelings hurt if someone's mad at you. Yeah. I think the, the fun part is when they try to flip it. Like flip one. It. Yeah. Once in a while, if I poke something that like <laughs> I poke like a sore spot and then all of a sudden they'll kind of flip it onto me and be like, well, you know, maybe you're not as great as you think you are. And I'm like, well. I think I'm pretty great. <laughs> I think I'm pretty great. And like, if you don't think that, that's fine. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to let that, you know, like, you can't, you know, ruin really my day. You. I'm going to fire you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this right. is the way that I work with people. Yeah. Really. Like, I accept, I accept the fact that, you know, I'm not going to be, uh, there's a butt for every chair. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm not going to be that person for you. And that's okay. Like you can be upset with me. You can be mad. Mm -hmm. You can think I'm a bad therapist and that's perfectly okay. You yep. do you. Right. Well, that, that's got to be the hardest thing for anybody in that position to just uh, own their mistakes and or acknowledge, yeah. acknowledge. 
I think acknowledging him first. And that's also the hard part, right? So there's like, oh, the random like throwback of like, oh, I'm just going to project onto you because I'm uncomfortable, which is one thing. But then them bringing it to you of like, you hurt my feelings or you said something upsetting. And then like, okay, let's talk about therapist that. irrational belief systems right now. Of like, oh no, I'm a bad therapist. Like I, like I feel shame right. rather than like, yeah, you're right bombed that one. I'm sorry. And being able to kind of, again, constructively move through that because just one client giving you a complaint is not the reason why you're going to label yourself as a bad therapist for the rest of your life. And that can be constructive, by the way. And I always applaud people like come and talk to me. And that at the end of uh, CBT is a feedback and summary. And, you know, people say nice. Oh, yeah, it was really helpful. Is there something you can think about throughout the week? Is there anything I did that you want me to do differently? No, 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 no. Really? Really? I'm that <laughs> yeah. great. I'm that well, amazing. You, you can even ask him, do you, or say, I mean, whatever the, the statement or the question is, do you think then, you know, before you came in here, I thought of, okay, well, how am I going to really upset them? And, oh, this is going to be good. Like, I mean, do, do you think that that was my plan or like by mm-hmm. asking you that or, or mm-hmm. bringing, you know, or do you think that, you know, or can you look at this a different way? Just like, uh, you know, what Ellis was looking like, how does this affect you? Like you're, you're letting it affect you this way. It could also affect you this way if you buy into, you know, this point of view, right? Or wherever you're trying to get to. I give people credit for the honesty coming and talking to us and not being afraid that we're, you know, like just like one up because we're the therapist and they're the the patient. And also like we're often the healthiest relationship that people may may have in their life. No, and that's, that's, I don't want to say it's sad because, but that, I mean, that is sad in a way because it's like. Most people want to avoid like they won't have that conversation maybe with a friend that hurt their feelings or well, pissed them off. Yeah, there's belief systems there of like I can't upset anyone or I can't handle, mm-hmm. you know, my friends thinking that they're, you know, my friends being upset with me or anything like that and having that modeled in the session of like, oh, I mm-hmm. said something that you were uncomfortable with and validating that and being like, okay, so it's not that you can't tell someone what you think. It's not that you can't mm-hmm. tolerate this conversation. Clearly you can, mm-hmm. you know? So like, yeah, it's uncomfortable still, but like you didn't burst into flames. So clearly you can handle this. And you, you might be telling them things that maybe their friend might might have said or yeah. wants to say, but can't. But now you're unbiased, so you don't have a dog in this fight as far as like knowing this one or that one. And you're just, okay, for, for the hour that we meet, this is what I'm getting and this is how I want to help you. And, and I think that helps them a, a great deal if they, again, if they want to buy into yeah. you know, what you're selling. One of, the, one of the things that they always talk about is this idea of like unconditional acceptance, right? Unconditional mm-hmm. self-acceptance, unconditional other acceptance, unconditional world acceptance, right? Not that we like it, not that it's preferred, not mm-hmm. that it's the best. But being able to acknowledge the reality of the thing as it exists with like open hands, right? So being able to provide that environment for a client of like, hey, Mm -hmm. but being able to acknowledge the reality of the thing as it exists with like open hands, right? So being able to provide that environment for a client of like, hey. Right. And I, part of the, uh, both models, REBT and CBT, is um, exposure and response prevention. So exactly that. I get to practice doing something tough, but I do it anyway, mm-hmm. right? And realize I'm not going to, it's not a catastrophe. It's not terrible. It's not this awful thing that yeah. happens. And we have to convince people, try it. Just behaviorally experiment and try it. Be confrontational, quote unquote. Do that thing you're scared of. Go into the go into the store and mistake practice. You know about mistake practice? Yeah. Um, Go into McDonald's and order a Whopper. Okay. (laughs) Go sing in the street, happy birthday in the middle of, you know, Times Square and see what happens. I was telling someone to go to Dunkin' and then like make an order and then correct them midway through, right? Right. Like they start doing it and everything and then being like, oh, no, no, uh, 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 like on purpose, just to- On purpose, order the wrong thing or go into order a grande. So everybody who works in fast food, when when this happens, (laughs) this is the reason why- Yes. Or like you're in Target and you say, how do I get to Target? Yeah. (laughs) Like really fun social fear hierarchy. What, what's the number for one eight hundred flowers? Right, <laughs> you can be very creative. That's and people are like, "No, I don't want to do it." And I'm like, "Come right. on, it's funny. You have to have humor. Right. Do it anyway." Albert Ellis loved humor. Like yeah. he was, yeah, like mind mind the sass, right, right. But like also just love to have a joke and a laugh and yeah. try to have that lightheartedness to it because it's like, no, mm-hmm. again, there are no absolutes, right? Like there, mm-hmm. this thing is not so freaking horrible that like you can't even laugh about it at any point in your life right so might as well laugh a little bit about it it's pretty funny yeah and there's something to say about with with so many people who feel like they're a failure or they feel like they're and but all we see are people who are successful and that's all we you know like so you know 
when somebody sees the two of you, they just see, oh, look at these two very successful people, but they don't know uh, everything that you put into it, all the things that, you know, that you've had, you know, like when that's, and that's, and that's laughing about that in your head too. I like, (laughs) right. But no, but that, no, but, but I mean, but I mean that because that's, you know, cause uh, my class, you know, all, all the kids see are like success stories. And it's like, well, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, like Thomas Edison failed how many times? Like uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, mm-hmm. failed so many. Th- I mean, it's like, but all they know, well, he became president. Yeah, on the first try, I'm sure it was that easy. Right, you know? and that's that's the argument that we're making, right? In like these belief systems of like, oh, everyone is so successful and I'm not. And because right. I'm not successful, I'm a garbage human being and I'm never going to be successful. And I can't handle the fact that I'm not going to be successful. And being able to poke holes in that of like, okay, mm-hmm. first of all, 8 billion people on this planet. So you're really going to make the argument that all of them right. are more successful than you. Let's start there. Right. Right. That's not true. Start with your definition. Two, you believing that you're not going to be successful. Explain to me how you will be successful believing that you're not going to be successful. Right. Doesn't help. Or what that looks like. What does success even mean to you? Yeah. Right. What's your definition, your definition of, of it? it? And who you're comparing to? Those are unfavorable comparisons. Yeah. Well, this person is so lucky. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Let's talk about... Okay, maybe they were born into money. Maybe they had this, but they also had to have ambition, determination. They still had to do all these things to be. Right. And REBT would be like, okay, yeah, they're lucky. Like, why Why do you care? Why do you care? Like, what does it mean that they're lucky, right? Why and it'd be like, lucky? oh, I am. I am unlucky. And it's like, okay, you've never done a scratch off. <laughs> like, you've <laughs> never found a dollar on the floor. You've never, like, you've never been picked first in dodgeball. Like, are we really going to make the argument that your entire life you've never had one fortunate thing happen to you, right? So, like, yeah. again, disproving that, like, this is a philosophical argument to some degree for REBT, right? We make this argument of, like, okay, is that... Like, let's actually deconstruct this belief system for a bit. Does this make any goddamn sense? Just real quick. Does it make any sense? No, then it ain't it ain't working for us. Right. right. One thought that I always hold on to that my grandmother told me was, no matter how bad you think you have it, there's somebody that has it worse than you. Yeah. And, you know, and there's been some times I'm like, wow, okay. You know? <laughs> or at some point I feel time. I feel sorry for that sad, poor sap, but, yeah. you know. You know, it's, it's the, it's again, that middle ground, that ambivalence of like, whatever extreme you're creating, Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist. There was a person. We're not constantly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like the, the TikTok I saw, okay, guys, TikTok. Um, there was a TikTok that I saw. You're a millennial. That's right. Right. There's a TikTok (laughs) that I saw that said like, okay, the concept of a circle exists, but there's no such thing as a real circle. And I was like, I'm, yeah, I was like, I'm sorry. And they were like, any circle that's ever been created still has to have some level of imperfection in it. Mm-hmm. So the extreme ideal of a circle like exists metaphorically, right. but it doesn't concretely exist, right? It's a beautiful idea. Right. No perfect circle. So with that being <laughs> said, right, an REBT logic would be something to the assimil- like to the effect of like, okay, I'm worthless is the circle. Right. Are you telling me you have absolutely zero, zero, zero percent worth? Like mm-hmm. that can't be possible. Like mm-hmm. logically, that can't be possible because like right. if someone murders you and steals your organs, your organs have worth. Thus, you have worth. Right. You know, <laughs> which right. morbid conversation. Yeah. No, but yeah. No. Then you, you pay your taxes. Yeah. Hopefully that's worth right. right. So, yeah. You could talk about people who who admire them like a family. Like, OK, well, yeah, these kids You're depend on you or they may not say it all the time, but they love you and they look up to you or, you know, we've used that for people who are parents like, well, you're worthy to your daughter. Like your daughter would say mm-hmm. that you're worthy. Would this be a good way to go? Probably not. But I want to ask it anyway. If you died tomorrow, who, who would be at your funeral? Who would be yeah. devastated? Think about yeah, that. And then that, that yeah. can maybe We've done open their eyes, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. Write your own eulogy. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, writing your own eulogy. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Oh, yeah, we go hard in there. I like that. That's, I think that is a good thought. You get real that's, vulnerable Would here. anyone care? Now, they would. They might imagine no one will show up at the funeral. No one's really going to care. They'll care for a day. I'll be an afterthought. So they would write it if it happened tomorrow, the eulogy. Oh, so you're talking about the eulogy? Yeah, yeah. Could be. Okay. Like, theoretically. Yeah. Okay. Or maybe like, if it's like, what do you what do you want your eulogy to be? Okay, say- you know, okay, let's just hope that you're going to live to 85.6 years old or whatever. <laughs> what did you want it to be at that point? And then they can maybe, okay, well, uh, you know. Like, what have you done throughout your life that's valuable and values-based, purposeful, or, you know, and then, yeah, like worth, worthy. Right. Worthy. You, were worth, you were worth something. You held the door for someone. Yeah. One time in life. That was worth it. The funny part is I'm sitting here thinking to myself of like, REBT would be like, oh my God, like the person is scared that no one's going to be at their funeral. And it's like, okay, why does that matter if you're dead? (laughs) Right. Right? Like what's the logic in caring about that if you're not going to exist, you know? (laughs) Okay. Well, that kind of contradicts the purpose. (laughs) 
I mean, you can't flip flop. Well, no, for worth, it would be a different argument. If the belief system was like, oh, I'm unworthy and no one will care about me when I pass, then the eulogy, like the eulogy. Yeah, but if they become obsessed with the other, then yeah, that's where you go. Yeah, (laughs) depending on what the belief system is, is really being able to deconstruct, like, how absolute is that? Right. If it's like, oh, it'll be so intolerable and so awful if no one comes to my funeral. It's like, how can it be awful if you're not there to perceive it? But if it's like, oh, no one's going to care and I'm worthless because no one cares and no one comes to my funeral. It's like, okay, are you telling me that like, you know, mass murderers have at least someone show up to like their, their euthanasia? They got a mother. And yeah. And like, no one's going to come to yours. Like the, the victim's parents want to make sure you're dead. They'll yeah, be there. You know? Right. Like <laughs> they'll, yeah. they'll poke the corpse. Or, with yeah. The- yeah, or like, they'll celebrate. They'll have a party. It, you know, it's worth, it, worth their time. Right. Yeah. So you guys got to really be on your toes for like, you know, yeah. point counterpoint, because sometimes yeah. you feel like they just like, okay, are you here to get help? Or are you here just to debate me? Kind of. Yeah. Oh yeah. We've heard most of them at this point. I mean, I've been practicing longer than you, but I, you've heard a lot too, but yeah. Like, a lot of stuff well, for kids, weird. it's a little different. Well, every once in a while, there's somebody that throws you for a loop. Like, hmm, well, you got me there. Let me think about that one. You know, like right. I mentioned the other day with your your patient, right? Which one? There's so many of them. Even though well, <laughs> confidentiality. Right. Yeah. We can't talk about right. That. But like. Once they, in a while, they stump you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the fun part, too, is just going back to the initial premise of like, okay, let's say that's true. Like, mm-hmm. whatever you're telling me. Right. Let's say that's true. What is that doing for you? What is the point? Is it purposeful? You know? Yeah. What is that doing for you? Is that helping you? Is that making you happy? Do you you feel better if that's true? Like, well, there's that. And that, of course, is, um, again, reminds me of ACT. Like, is it moving away or towards your goals? Like, okay, believing this belief, behaving in this way, is it getting you closer to where you want to be in life and living a valued life or away? Like, yeah. So you have a game. So we've been chatting almost an hour. Nice. Yeah. Are we going to do a game? Yeah. I just have to um, um, add a couple of things to it. Uh, it's not quite done yet. I have a game for Katarina and it is about Dr. Ellis. Just five questions to see what she knows. And uh, the first one is probably a layup. I think you did mention earlier. <laughs> where was he born? Oh, okay. I was, I was ready. I was like, oh no. You know? but no, they start off easy. Okay. Very mm-hmm. good. Born in Pittsburgh. Because I was I was good at confuse it with Philly, and I was like, no, the other side. No, the other the, side yeah, over West there. Coast. What yeah. the name of the hospital? I'm just kidding. Okay. Ooh. Um, <laughs> actually, it's a trick question. He was born in a house. He, he could have yeah, been. He was born in he, a bathtub. He you know? <laughs> um, where did Dr. Ellis earn his MA and PhD? Ooh, Columbia. Correct. Yeah, I think his BA was like. It's not like New York City University, but it's like City University of New York. And I was like, Cooney. I was going to say that. Cooney. That's what it is. I'm not a New Yorker, clearly. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I thought the long name sounded silly. And I was like, it does sound silly. Yeah. But Cooney makes more sense. All right. Now, third one. Here we go. Based on a 1982 professional survey of the U.S. and Canadian psychologists. Okay. I don't know if the Canadian psychologists are going to, you know, mess with this study or not if that matters but dr ellis was considered the second most influential and again this is their term psychotherapists i know how we don't like that term in history who was ranked number one and then who was ranked number third again educated guests but who would you think would be so you're wondering who he sandwiched between right who did they sandwich him between so based like, off of this survey in okay. 1982 in 1982 think back to how 1982 people may have thought mm, yes before <laughs> yes, you were born me, yeah right let me go back in time before my existence if i was and how did those people right think? so like if we're thinking about like oh like virtually like pop culture therapists like who are the therapists that people know about right most influential freud would be like top number one i would imagine okay and then who would be the third but who would be the third like personal you preference? may or may you may or may not be right with freud i may or may not be right, right. This is i'm gonna venture get. the guess for the two at least okay you go the two get, and they can flip yeah flop. and if yeah. i can flippy floppy then i'll do that uh freud number one mm-hmm. and then for two or three i'm stuck between i'm gonna go with my gut on it and kind of be like young just because like i don't you know like he's pretty popular but like curious okay freud was third whoa right again and he's the godfather i mean yes and first is 
Carl Rogers. Oh, we forgot Get Rogers. Out. That's what they he say. Is, I'm surprised that he's like a, he's, he's a, overrated. This is going to be like an he's episode of like Sports he's Center, like a party interruption. He's overrated. Wait, so this this he's survey was of like psychologists and stuff like that? It wasn't like a regular in, Joe? Um, psychologist, U.S. Uh, and Canadian back in 82. So and again, I don't know the sample. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Them as psychologists or right. in the field. Okay. So Carl Rogers, he was unconditional positive. Yeah. He was like the humanist dude was, who was, was basically like. I be I nice to people. Yeah, like I love you. I give you space. I I give you pets. Like you you do your best. Yeah, like like petting he, people. N- <laughs> not literally. Should we do a, like, Should we do a show on Carl Rogers? No. Okay, I guess not. Uh, those looks. Those looks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was good like, thing I you can't see the looks. You'd have to get a different person on here. Okay. I'm, like, I'm not that person. I can't make him interesting. But like, <laughs> I mean, he he, he nice was guy. important. Yeah, like he was important in the grand scheme of things, but he definitely wasn't behavioral, right? Like he, he was wasn't. very like acceptance kind of vibe, unconditional positive regard, yeah. meaning I accept you for who you are. Let's talk about your feelings. I'm here for you. I provide a safe space, which, by the way, is important here yeah. with REBT and CBT. Yeah, you know what? Now, I mean, I can't I'm really a- be an a hole. No, <laughs> I, I and I, I just remember. I mean, not, really, not at least on session one. I mean, Freud is just like. I mean, everything started really with Freud, isn't it? I so mean, he like, was is bumped to three? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. Mean, yeah, I'm surprised that he was bumped to three. But I guess, like, if you're asking a bunch of like therapists and psychologists and stuff like that, mm-hmm. not that like he fundamentally is the most influential in like the creation of therapy. Like everyone knows him, but like, I don't think we're using his stuff. And also when was Carl Rogers, you know, time frame? Oh, I don't know. Right. So it might uh, be the same, but along the same time as, as, as Beck and Alice. I don't know. Is he after, is he after Alice? Cause like, that like might be where like well, these like, two gentlemen were, at least I was alive during their work and, and so on where Freud. Yeah. He, you know, um, I want to say fifties or sixties. I, I so the, yeah, yeah. So he was nineteen oh two to nineteen eighty seven. So he was like a little bit like ten years before Alice was when he was born. So like okay. again, it's still concurrent basically. But and, he kind of took like the humanist like a, like unconditional positive regard approach. And you mentioned something. These Alice Beck, I guess you can throw Rogers in there. Are they in? Because again, I love my timeline. So there, you said that they're second wave. second wave, right? And then you said we're in a third wave right. now. So I want to you know, research and talk about that. Maybe some yeah, some other time about the waves. I, I, the my, waves if yeah. you were wondering what I'm jotting down here and there, I was like, ooh, maybe an idea for an, another uh, episode. Spur new ideas from podcasts. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number four. Okay. There are three musts. That ah. hold us back. Mm. What are they? Oh, okay. All right. Masturbating. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> so we're talking about like the the demands of like that a person or like the average Joe basically has, right? So like vaguely again, if it's if it's in the ballpark, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best on it, right? So like one I would imagine is something to the effect of like I must be perfect or well liked. I must do well. Right. So that's yeah. Two is others must see me well or like others must treat me well. Boom. Ooh, got it. Nailed it. it. And three has to be then with like world or life around us. So then it's like, oh, things must go well or the like easy for me. Yes, must yes. And the world must be easy. Yeah. Nice job. And or fair. Killing it. Yeah. Fair. You are El Fuego. All right. Number five. Fill in the blank. I'm gonna give you a statement and you give me the first word. Okay. That will read as blank. Blank itself is one of the most painful conditions. Ooh. A direct quote from Dr. Ellis. Ooh. Ooh there's so many blank. words. A lot, of, a lot of I know. synonyms that you could probably, mm. you know. Wait, can you reread it? Sure. Blank itself. Blank itself is one of the most painful conditions. Blank itself is one of the most painful conditions. Blank itself is one of the most painful conditions. I feel like he wouldn't say like life because I feel like that's almost too like nihilist. Yeah, because then it seems against the argument of like if life is so painful, then everyone would be in pain. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you a hint. Both of you have alluded to the fact that this is a waste of time. Irrational thinking? No, no, it's, it's one word. It's one word. It's one word. Uh, suffering? No, suffering is pain. We're both sitting here like trying mm. to figure out. Okay. It's blank a waste is of the, time. It's a waste of time. Something is the most wor- worrying. No. Worrying? Worry. Oh. Worry. Worry itself. You did say that. Right. Okay. You said unproductive worry. Well, yeah. All right. Yeah, same thing. Okay. Worrying is pretty much a waste. Although, wait a minute. So there is a little. <laughs> but it's a painful condition. 
Because if yeah, you're worrying, it's I said it's a waste of, you know, I think most of us would agree it's a waste um, of time. Productive worrying is not. Yeah. There's a whole different. But the worry term, that concerned, maybe so a better word. Yeah. Putting yeah. worry into action. Like if you said, I have this pain or this like cut on my leg and you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to worry to death about it. And I would say, well, why don't we do something about it? And you would say, well, I'm going to call my doctor and get it checked. Yeah. That's productive worry because now it's action oriented. So you're still- You did worried. everything you possibly could. Well, you're still worried about right. it until you have your appointment maybe. And then the doctor does the, you know, x-ray or whatever and you're fine. Yeah. But like- RABT would be like, okay, there's like- paralyzing worry of yeah. like, okay, you're worried so much, but you're not gonna do anything about it because like, right. oh my God, what if it's like, I need to amputate my leg? Right. Um, and like <laughs> productive worry, but like concern right. and like, you know, um, because neglecting stress it. that's kind of like, okay, it is something to pay attention to, but like do yeah. something right. about do something. it. But it depends on the worry. I mean, that's so, okay. If there's something that's the tumor, yeah, I might want to worry about that. But I mean, something that is out of my control that, you know, or it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. It's where do you fall on that scale? Right, right. Right. So like to be concerned is not inherently bad, but if your concern is so- Tips over. Yeah. It tips over into like paralysis and like just constant fear. Shut that down. Yeah. Gets yeah. That that is incredibly painful, and it's not productive, and it's not helping you, and it is probably a waste of time. Right, you need an ulcer. Yeah. Well, I've learned a lot today, ladies. There's uh, no more questions. That's it. No more. That's oh, it. Yeah, five. That's a five. That's a five. Oh, I got. I got almost five. like a four point eight out of five right there. Oh my God, well, and again, learn? three. You got it. one of the guys in there, so I mean, yeah. that's fifty fifty right, right there. So yeah. So you're. I would give you a four point five. I'm cool nice. with that. Right. So Solid earned, A. You've earned an A. Yeah. Lunch. Woo! <laughs> it's a shame we didn't have the the lunches wherever you guys are going for as a sponsor because then we can give them a, a but too, uh, maybe later hey, everybody place inner balance is going to this place yeah right Food place near here we could guys. have given them a plug right. mm-hmm. like we're in central jersey plug. Give, give a plug give us food and we will advertise your food. <laughs> this is this is considered Central Jersey, Marlton? To me, yeah. Okay. From, well, no, it's, everything's south to you. South, well, no, because I still think Central exists. There's an argument about there whether Central, Central exists or not. Central's like Middlesex. Did we, Mercer. at the Halloween party, did we get into that or no? Probably. Either Maybe. that or it was with, it was with um, my partner. That's it. Who was making that. Because we're both from North Jersey and we acknowledge the existence of Central Jersey. But apparently there's this debate that Central Jersey does not exist. And then I moved down here and I'm like, it has to exist because I'm here. (laughs) Minute. Is that is but not everybody from North Jersey feels that way. No, there's there's a deep divide because of the New York City mentality of like, we are North and we are smart and intelligent and stuff. I'm going to write that down as a future show topic. So the many. psychology of New Jersey, North, <laughs> South, Central, right. and how each one thinks. And beach. And, and, and yeah, the beach the people, people, the people. Yeah. Yes. Shoobies. Them be different. And, and yes. And, and how they, <laughs> them be different. Have you, ever seen the map? Have you ever seen those maps of New Jersey? Yeah. Yes. The politically incorrect maps that oh, are pretty damn accurate. The yeah. Taylor <laughs> Ham pork roll map. Well, that, yeah, yes, that's another one. That's another one. Right. But that one, I think I I might have mentioned to you, that was put together. The one that you're talking about, Dr. Rafa, is uh, some students, board students in Rutgers. Go figure. They put that one together. Nice. We're having so much fun, but we have to wrap it up, boys and girls. Fun day. So what did you learn today, Mr. Dana? I learned that things can't affect me in a negative manner. I need to just interpret them. It's all your fault. As best I can. Yeah. And I have having a bad day. It's your fault. I have the power, you know, uh, a lesson, everyone (laughs) do it to yourselves. And, um, what works best for me doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And I, I can't blame other people for my problems. My mother, the president, although I've tried to sometimes with the president, but, (laughs) but, and, uh, let's see what else, what else, what else you learned about a new man in your life. Yes. I don't know. I wouldn't put it that way. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't phrase it that way, but okay. Get it, there's a new man. There's, there's, there's a new man in my life. I want to tell you all about him. Um, He's killing it from beyond, man. You learned about this influential figure who was akin to, um, or, you know. Uh, I like it better when you tell me what I learned. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what I like, what the, all right, everyone. And I will right, nod my head if that is the truth. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we learned. We learned that bad things can happen to you and bad like uncomfortable feelings can happen, but if we're torturing ourselves, we're just making it worse. Life is chaotic, unpredictable, and not always black and white. And, and if you true. want it to be that easy, you're just gonna make yourself miserable. 
So being able to accept the fact that life is just very weird <laughs> and we are very weird and people are weird and it's all just kind of your dog is weird. Yeah. Your dog is weird. <laughs> you know, we're all just weird. We're all just, we're all just complicated, valuable, flawed human beings in a flawed world. And the more that we can accept that, the less painful life is. I'm okay. You're okay. Yeah. And life, you know, the whole life's not fair and we try to help People see things in shades of gray, right? And it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Let's come up with another uh, reference. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Another quip and pun. All right. So thanks for listening to our show, everyone. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Katarina, for stopping by today. Thank you guys for having me. I had a lot of fun. Be classy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it's I'm sassy, not classy, guys. Oh, we got <laughs> That's right. Put that in your bio. What, sassy? You're sassy. Every client that, that I have knows. They know. They're mm-hmm. all, I mean, for no, but for the, new, the newbies. Just know, oh, oh she's, I want the sassy one. Well, I that's, like that sassy that's why I just rewrote the bio. It sounds a little Ooh. bit sassier. Now. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. You know what? They'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a surprise. Right. Yeah. It, you know what? We'll Show tell, them, we'll don't tell, tell them. Yeah. Ah. By the first day they find out. They mm-hmm. know by then. Yep. We will say to use that moniker. If you want a sassy therapist, this woman's for you. Yeah. Right? We'll tell our this is. <laughs> if you want this kind. This is the goal that you want. This kind. You want this kind. You want her to tell it. Like if you it want is. a Mr. Rogers, I ain't that guy. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> you want a grandma, Mrs. Mrs. Rogers, Mr. Rogers, right? Yeah, we'll refer you out for that. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we're punchy, I think. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening to our show. Catch all of our episodes and more at www.innerbalancepsychology.com or talktherapycbt.com. Email us if you have any questions, info at innerbalancepsychology.com. And remember to stop it and give yourself a chance. Bye.